Well, welcome to everybody who's here in person and those of you joining us online. Thank you for being with us this morning. Let me read. Uh, Today we are wrapping up. For the last four weeks, we've been in John chapter 1, and today we're going to be wrapping that up. But let me read today's passage. It's one verse. comes at the end of the passage we've been camped out and hanging around in. Here's, Here's what it says. And he brought him to Jesus. This is Andrew bringing his brother Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Have you ever thought about how you got to one stage of life in light of where you were earlier in life? Let me, let me dive in on that a little bit. We recently got out pictures of our children. We got out their baby books. And, you know, it's one of those that's just like tear-inducing and you're sitting there. You remember when you held them. You remember driving them home from the hospital. You remember no sleep, diaper after diaper. And I just remember thinking, how, how did this happen? Like our oldest is going into high school next year. And, and I'm sitting here looking at these pictures of her as a baby. And I'm thinking, how did this happen? And, and what happened was uh, when you feed them, they tend to come back. And, and they hang around a little bit. And so that's what happened. Or this morning on the way here. I mean, it was, is it still like negative 60 out there? Because <laughs> that's, that's what it felt like when I drove here this morning. I remember just going, I can't fathom warm weather right now. I just, in these months, you know summer exists, you know you've been through it before, you just can't imagine how we get there. It's just because all you can see is what's around you. Or there's the giant question that has plagued me for the last two and a half decades of my life. At age 16, okay, I want you to notice something. At age 16, as a sophomore at Columbine High School, I was five feet, two inches tall. Today, 24 years later, I stand before you as a 40-year-old who has gained two inches. And I'm going, Lord, that's, that's an inch every 12 years. I mean, I remember a dentist when I was younger, he's like, well, based on the size of your feet and your jaw and the development, I think you're going to be six feet tall. And I held on to that. I held and I held. And so I, I, by my calculations, an inch every 12 years at age 136, I'm going to be six feet tall. And I will come find you and remind you of that, Okay. And so, and it's not fair. I was just talking to Kevin Schmidt back here. He helps out around here. He's been here for years. Kevin is 46 years old. He said recently at a doctor's appointment, he, his doctor disclosed to him, you've grown half an inch in the last year. And I went, why does Kevin, why does Kevin, six foot three Kevin get half an inch? I'm asking for just one inch. Anyway, but you know, you just, you can't really fathom how you get there, whatever there is from here, can you? But we try. We try. In fact, what we do is, especially in the world we live in and the culture and society we live in, there is an emphasis on our effort. If I want to get anywhere in life, if I want to have an impact, if I want God to use me, you know what we do? It all revolves around doing. My effort, my strength, whatever I can make happen. In fact, oftentimes what we do, and some of you are, we've talked about this, are resolution people, some, some of you are not, but it's, it's a common thing in our culture to set a resolution. What's a resolution? Oftentimes it revolves around me, my effort, my doing. What can I make happen? 
And so we decide to start doing something. We decide to stop doing something. We decide to change something. And here's what happens. January 19th comes around. Do you know what January 19th is? Statistically, and I don't know when they came up with this, statistically, that is when the highest number of people quit on their resolutions. So January 1st, you said, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it all the way to at least June. No, January 19th. This is January 19th. That's about how much we can depend on our own human emphasis on doing. And the reason I bring this up and the reason we've been in the passage that we've been in for the last four weeks is because Jesus starts somewhere different than we start. God starts somewhere completely different. Maybe the best way to explain it is our neighbor. Our neighbor, a number of years ago, he knew that I had a background. I had a lawn business years ago. And so he said, Nathan, I want to green up our lawn. And I knew better than to ask him, well, are you watering? You know, because that's where we all start. Uh, It's like when you, I've dealt with headaches and people say, have you tried Tylenol? Yes, I have tried Tylenol, okay? But same kind of thing. And so I asked him what time he was watering. And he said, well, I water in the morning. But in the summer months, you know, that, that water just dries up quick in the scorching sun. So I said, why don't you try maybe like 1 or 2 a.m.? So a couple of weeks go by and his lawn greens up. But I noticed in his backyard, there is this giant oval, just this huge, lush, green, taller than everything else oval. And I went, what are you doing different there? And he said, well, maybe the timer is, is it's, long, it's set longer there. So I went and looked at it. That hadn't, that hadn't done anything. A couple more weeks went by. This oval is still really thick and dark and green and tall. Turned out, and this is just how God does things, rather than a lot of water coming from the surface, he had a broken line underground. Yeah, he had a broken water line. And I thought, isn't that how God does things? You know, there's my attempts to remedy a situation, but God can sometimes do this totally out of left field thing. We're totally under the surface thing. In fact, I think that's what he wants to do with every single one of us, is that he wants to start in the least visible place, the least natural place for us to start with our doing. Instead, he wants to start under the surface with our being. And so for the last four weeks, we've been camped out in John chapter 1, and we really, if if we just ask you, if you have any resolutions, that's fine, but would you just consider trying one thing one time. And it comes just a couple verses before what we read just a minute ago. John 1, 39. Jesus invites a couple of John the Baptist disciples to come and see where he was staying. And it says, and they spent the day with him. And they spent the day with him. And those ended up being two of Jesus' first disciples. And they spent the day with him. Now, the reason I keep bringing this up and keep bringing this up is because something shifts. When I get off of what I'm going to make happen, how I'm going to make my relationship with Jesus stronger, how I'm going to have an impact, how I'm going to decide what my life is going to be about, when you let go of all that and you just get in his presence, you know what happens? You get into his being. You get in the presence of his being. And the more time you spend in the presence of his being, the more he begins to inform your being and who you are, and it starts in a totally different place than our doing. In fact, John chapter 1, the verse we just read, verse 42, gives us a picture of what happens as we spend that time. Look at it again. 
Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him. See, looks are hard to interpret, aren't they? I mean, especially now with masks, like right now, if you, if you could see what I see, I just see hundreds of angry people right now. This is what it looks like right now. And you might be, okay? Don't email me. But, uh, but that's what we tend to do. We tend to interpret people's looks at us. But there are different kinds of looks. I remember the way Kara looked at me the first time she laid eyes on me. Or there's the way she's looking at me right now. I'm in trouble. All right. So, but there are different ways of looking. And with masks on, I I don't know if you've noticed, you have to like triple check to make sure that it's who you think it is when you go say hi to somebody or how they're actually doing. And you don't know until you have a conversation. But Jesus looked at him, John tells us. And it's interesting because there are many different Greek words for the word look in New Testament. But this one, if you were to go back to the original Greek language, this one is a word called emblepo, emblepo. And as you notice how many times and where this word occurs in the New Testament, you realize it occurs in far more places than any other version of Jesus looked in the New Testament. There's a case where Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to some people, look at the birds of the air, and the word is emblepo. And what he's getting at, and what the meaning of the word is, is consider. In other words, don't just physically see the birds of the air. I want you to, I want you to have something in mind as you look at the birds of the air. Another time, a rich young man came to Jesus, and he said, I've kept all these commandments, but what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And it says, Jesus emblepo. Jesus looked at him, and something came to mind. It says he looked at him with eyes of love. Later on, Jesus is on trial. Jesus is actually physically in his trial, this trial that happened by night. And Peter is having a conversation with a young girl across the courtyard, and she, she looks at him and she says, you were with Jesus. He says, no, nah, I wasn't with Jesus. Yes, you were with Jesus. No, I, I wasn't one of his, his associates or companions. It wasn't me. A third time, she says, you were with Jesus. And he denies it a third time, and we're told, and Jesus looked at Peter. Now, what would you expect that look to look like? See, something came to mind for Jesus as he looked. This is what emblepo is. Something comes to mind. Now, let me come to you and me for a minute. If I could just sit down one-on-one with you, one of the most fascinating questions for me with anybody is this. What do you think God thinks when God looks at you? What do you think Jesus thinks when he looks at you? I mean, isn't it true we probably all have something in common that if you could really honestly answer that, words like disappointed come to mind? Maybe you've thought angry, Maybe you've looked around at the circumstances of your life and thought he seems so unconcerned when he looks at my life. Maybe you think he's thinking, I know what you did last summer. And then I still know what you did last summer. Or maybe you think it's like, uh, it's like our son at the dinner table, uh, seven out of seven nights a week. We will pray for dinner. As soon as we get done with amen, here's what we get from Lincoln. Well, True had her eyes open. And dad had his eyes open. 
And sometimes he has a pencil and paper with tally marks. True has had her eyes open three times this week during the prayer. And I can't help thinking that we can walk around thinking God is just tally marking every single thing that we've just messed up or mistake we've made. And here's the thing you got to know is that when he looks at you, can you, hear, can you hear the human emphasis we put on it? We tell God what he thinks when he looks at us. But see, here's the first thing you see. We have to remember, Jesus looked at him. Jesus looks at you, and Jesus looks at me, and Jesus is looking at Simon in this moment through Jesus' eyes, not ours. And there's a big difference there. Because we walk around interpreting what he must be thinking. But Jesus looked at him and something came to mind. I was reminded of this years ago. I, I had the same family doctor that I went to for over 30 years. And uh, I remember I'd go to him every year for an annual checkup. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into details here. But he, uh, he'd at the end of the checkup just say, what are you doing now? What's going on in life? And I remember I'd gotten out of high school and I said, oh, I'm, I'm just up at, at the community college at Red Rocks. I'm taking an EMT class there. Then the next year came around. He said, what are you doing now? I said, oh, I'm just taking a year off, you know, trying to figure out what I'm doing. And then the next year came around. What are you doing now? I, I'm just down at Metro State College. I'm doing an accounting degree. And he finally stopped me. No joke, three years. And he said, Nathan, have you noticed that every time I ask you what you're up to, the word just comes up as if you want me to inside think it's just something. Now, this is a doctor who I know has a Christian belief system and worldview, so we can talk on, on that level. And he, he said, you know, it, none of this is just to God. When you look at your life, God doesn't look at your life the way you look at your life. And so you tend to just everything. And I was like, wow, that was like free counseling just now. Except I know the bill's coming. But anyhow, he said, don't just what God is doing with you. Because he looks at you differently than you look at you. John 1.42, Jesus looked at him. Did you know? He looks at you with his eyes, not yours, not mine. It continues. Let me draw your attention to another statement. Jesus looked at him and said, you are, you are, present tense, you are Simon, son of John. Now, if I could stop there, we'll get through the verse, don't worry. I know it's a long passage to chew on, but we'll get through it. You are Simon, son of John. If I were to ask you, who are you? Who are you? What are you about? How, how are you spending your life? Isn't it true that it would be very easy, and I catch myself doing this all the time. We tend to describe who we are in terms of what we do or can't do, what we have or don't have, what other people think. What I do, what I have, what I think. Isn't that true? And what happens is depending on how you measure all that stuff, we do this thing that this author named Brennan Manning he says, he says, we either have a glittering image of ourselves or we've got a shadow image of ourselves. If, if just everything's great, 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 and it's amazing and, and nothing could be more amazing and aren't I amazing, that's what Brennan Manning refers to as this glittering image. I can do no wrong. 
I have the best of intentions at all times. That's a glittering image. And when we have a glittering image, you know what we do? We defend it. And if anything threatens it, if, anything, if anybody speaks up, sees differently, we defend it. Don't we? We'll fight for that. Or maybe we have a shadow image of ourselves where it's more kind of like I feel worthless. And when we don't like something about ourselves, you know, we, we go back to doing. Instead of doing by defending, we do doing by like management and modification. You know, if I've, if I've got sin in my life, you know what I tend to do? I tend to try to come up with a plan, a resolution for behavior modification in sin management. This is often where we go because why? We start at the place of doing. Now, I have news for you as we'll see next. Every single one of us has been tainted by sin. It's part of what we were born with when we came into this world. And so pay attention to what Jesus says. You are Simon, son of John. Then it goes on. And Jesus ran away. Jesus just ran away from him. No, it doesn't say that. Did you notice Jesus doesn't run away? See, this is what troubles people when it comes to church or, or they think they've heard the gospel message. They think, I'm going to be told I'm a sinner. And then they see themselves with their eyes, which must mean Jesus runs away from me. No, Jesus stayed right there with Simon. See, when you pay attention to the name that he gave Simon Peter, there are some implications. In other places in scripture, Simon, son of John, Simon Peter is referred to as Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah. Now, if you had done no other study other than just knowing the word Jonah, it would probably bring to mind an Old Testament prophet who God asked him to do something, and what did Jonah do? He ran, and he ran immediately the other direction, the opposite direction. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to... I'm not going to give you a glittering image of yourself, but I am going to give you honesty. You are somebody who takes flight. Another meaning of that name has been referred to as the son of a dove, and not like the peaceful, gracious version of a dove, but like, a, like take flight, scared easily, timid. And as you think through Peter's time with Jesus, you could see that, couldn't you? And yet Jesus says, here's who you are. Now, part of why that's troubling, again, is because we stop at the, whatever we associate with sin, we stop there. Because we have a hard time understanding that we are loved deeply in a sinful spot. How can I be a sinner and be loved? And yet that's the thing that's just echoed to us throughout scripture. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he doesn't see you with his eyes, but he doesn't know you, or he sees you with his eyes, not yours, but he also sees you with his standards, not yours. And that's something we have to, have to, have to come back to. That I'm not just a sinner. We forget the first very important part. I'm a deeply loved sinner. There's an author that I've been reading quite a bit lately, a man by the name of David Benner. And he says it this way. Transformation does not result from fixing our problems. It results from turning to God in the midst of them. Turning to God just as we are. 
Turning to God is the core of prayer. That's like spending some time with him. Turning to God is the core of prayer. Turning to God in our sin and shame is the heart, is at the heart of spiritual transformation. And then it moves on to finish the verse. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Did you catch that movement? You are, you will be. Do you want to know what comes to mind when your Savior looks at you? You are, you will be. You are, you will be. How interesting. And it's not you will do. It's you will be. It's not you currently do. It's you are. Do you see the emphasis on being over doing? You are, you will be. Now here's what's interesting. Down the road, when, when he's given the name Peter, it's associated, maybe you've heard this, with the name or with the word rock. And many people and many scholars have debated over when Jesus said, Peter, you are the rock, and, and on this I will build, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Many people take that to mean, oh, Peter was just so solid. He was just so stable. I would look through some instances in Scripture and go, now. No, I, I, I think maybe that was little our rock. And what Jesus was getting at was the confession that Peter had made. One day when Jesus said, who do people say I am? He looks at his disciples. He says, who do people say I am? And Peter, it's always Peter. Peter steps forward and he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And you know what Jesus said back to him? It wasn't, Peter, how intellectual you are. Oh, wow, Peter, how insightful you are. You're so smart. You've studied so much. So much doing has brought you to this place. He says, Peter, that was, you didn't know this. You didn't come to this on your own. That was revealed to you. It's the same thing we see in John chapter one, handful of verses before this passage we've been in. John the Baptist He says, I didn't know him, referring to Jesus. I did not know him, which is kind of strange. John, it's your cousin, okay? But I didn't know him. It was revealed to me. It was shown to me. Do you want to know, do you want to know the you will be for you and me and for Peter? The you will be potential inside all of us is not anything we're going to arrive at by human doing. The you will be of your life and my life and us as a body as the church is going to come because he does it. And his starting place is not going to be our doing on day one. He's going to say it's being. It's being. Just be with me. Be in my presence, my being, and it will inform your being. See, he sees you with his eyes, not yours. He knows you by his standards, not yours. But he redeems you. He restores you to who he intended you to be on his strength. It's revealed. It's not something that we come up with. It's revealed. He redeems us with his strength, not ours. That neighbor I was telling you about with the uh, broken sprinkler line, he got a bill. This is how he figured out he had a broken sprinkler line. He got a bill from Denver Water for $7,000. $7,000. 
I was like, don't ever ask me for lawn advice again. I am not helping pay that bill. No, he called Denver Water. You know what they said? We'll pay it. We'll cover it. It's a broken line. You didn't know. When does that happen? And did you catch what happened there? The cost was covered by somebody else. See, for Jesus to get you and I to the you will be of our lives, it's going to cost something. And he paid that price every single week. We get to come in and we get to look at his doing, not ours, his doing, because of how much he values our being. And so the reason that for four weeks I've repeated, would you just spend the day with him? Would you just get an afternoon with him? Would you just get an hour? Would you just get five minutes? Is so that you could get in the presence of the one who can, who can look at you and say, you are and you will be. Because if you want to live with his heart, you've got to be seen with his eyes. You've got to be seen with his eyes, through his eyes, to live with his heart. You absolutely have to do it. And that is not a passive thing. It's not. You know what it means? It means coming to him. And it's belief. It's belief. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to trust in who you see that I am, not who I think I am, not who others say I am, not how the world sees that I am. I'm going to trust that you're doing right there was enough for my being. That's what time in his presence does. And when he brings that about, something incredible happened. It's been happening under the surface throughout John chapter one. See, there's a, there's a theme in here. I don't know if you've noticed, it's evangelism. Do you notice how there was John the Baptist and then he pointed some people at Jesus and they went to Jesus and then they spent some time with Jesus and then one of them went and found his brother and he brought him to Jesus. And if we were to keep going through this passage, you'd, you'd meet two others, Philip and Nathaniel, who again, somebody just went and found them and found them and found them. And it's evangelism. It's how Jesus began gathering his followers. But what's so interesting to me is our first starting point when it comes to evangelism and going and telling people about Jesus, have you noticed what it is? Doing. Doing. No wonder the world's a little bit reluctant to come see Jesus because they think, am, am I going to be held up to my doing? Or can we, can we just bring them into the presence of his being and let him inform their being? Now, I'm going to wrap up here, but this is, uh, this is probably not, I don't know if this is the wisest thing to do in a room full of, how many of you are Bronco fans? Okay, okay, listen, if they had a 10-win season, I bet every name in here or every hand would be up, right? No. Uh, in Denver, Colorado, I don't know if this is the wisest thing, but I want to tell you about Tom Brady, okay? Let me tell you about Tom Brady. I know, you're like, the sermon was fine until right now, Nathan. <laughs> Uh, actually, our son, just uh, last week, we were watching the NFL playoffs, and Tampa Bay was about to play, and Lincoln is sitting there, and he's like, Brad Brady's the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was like, Brad Brady? Are you sure? He's an elder at our church, Lincoln. Do you mean Tom Brady? He's like, no, it's Brad Brady. So I'm telling you, he was so disappointed when number 12's helmet came off, and it it was Tom Brady. <laughs> so anyway, Brad Brady, quarterback of the Buccaneers. Anyway, 
So we know Tom Brady, and listen, you know, I'm sure all kinds of phrases and words and images are coming to mind right now when you think about Tom Brady. But in 2000, the year 2000-2001 NFL season, the New England Patriots had a quarterbacks coach by the name of Dick Rabine. Now, Dick Rabine was also part of their scouting team. And so they would go scout players. And Bill Belichick went to Dick Rabine, and he said, look, there are, there are four quarterbacks that I want you to go scout. And so I'm sorry, this is a year before that season. And so Tom Brady was one of them. So Tom Brady went to, the, uh, went to the great University of Michigan, and Dick Rabine went to the great University of Michigan to watch Tom Brady. And he came back, and his scouting report is so interesting on this quarterback. He said he looks nothing like a quarterback that would make it in the NFL. And he's lanky. His mechanics are off. I think to this day, Tom Brady still has one of the slowest 40-yard dash in the NFL combines in history of anybody at a skill position. So quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end. Still one of the slowest 40-yard speeds to this day. And so he said, but for all that, I can tell you this. And he sat down with Bill Belichick and his own wife, and he said, if you take Tom Brady, people will know his name in 20 years. Eight weeks before Tom Brady took his first NFL snap, Dick Rabine suddenly died of a heart condition. And yet, every single year, every single year, Bill Belichick and some of his coaching staff and Tom Brady, when they get together to remember Dick Rabine, they, they get together in this interview, Bill Belichick said, and we remember that thing that Dick Rabine saw in Tom Brady before anybody else saw it. Now, if that happens at the NFL level, how much more does that happen with your Savior as he looks at you and me and us as a body, the church? You know what that is? That's when you've sat in the presence of him long enough that he begins to inform your heart for other people and says, before you start with the doing, go and remember their being. See, that's why you spend time with him. That's why you get in his presence. Because I don't know about you, once every month, once a week, it's not enough. It's a reminder I constantly need. Jesus, I need the assurance that you look upon me with your eyes, not mine, that you know me by your standards, not mine, and that you redeem and you restore with your strength, not mine. And if he does that for us, then does he not want to do that through us with other people as well? As the worship team comes back up, will you close in prayer with me? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we are constantly reminded. We're constantly actually looking at the emphasis on what have you done? What have you done lately? What have you accomplished? What have you achieved? Lord, we're grateful for John chapter one, for this slice of John chapter one, that for all the fullness and all the glory and all the truth and grace that you set before us at the beginning of John chapter one, you could have just filled all the pages of the book with, with just that stuff. And yet, in your grace, you chose to include humanity. And, and you chose to make what you were doing in the world something that you invited us in on. And so, Heavenly Father, I just pray 
that anybody who's sitting here, whether it's never set foot in a church or been in a church for years, would you stir all of our hearts to come back to some time in your presence to remind us that we start at your being and your being, just being in your presence, well, that shapes and it forms our being. And then, and then we can go about our doing with your heart. Remind us that we're seen by your eyes in order to live with your heart. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.